Shane Daniels, welcome Yo. back. Let's go. Episode up. two, back at it. Standing up, standing up. I'm, I got. We're gonna. Well, last time we said uh, that episode two of it's time to listen, it's time to speak was gonna be church and Christianity, but I think we're gonna punt that one a little bit down the road. You had a phenomenal idea, and you just want to talk about our own life experiences, our feelings. So I just thought that was a, a fabulous idea. You doing good? Yeah, 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 man. I think, um, you know, there's so much information on Facebook. It's hard in social media and the, the news, you know, but you're trying to get to, like, you know, the heart of, like, what people are feeling right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious as to what, you know, one thing I was thinking is I, I in my own life, I have a an exact moment where I realized I was black mm. or different. And that kind of shaped, uh, you know, one of the things that shaped the way, you know, I navigate the world, but just curious with you, like, do you have any moments where you're like, oh, wait, I am white or this person is not white um, that stand out or like, you know, how has that journey, um, you know, evolved for you like up, up until now? Yeah, you know, you had me think about this question throughout the week. Um, and it just made me realize uh, a blind spot in my life. It made me realize that uh, my privilege has afforded me the opportunity not to think about the color of my skin. I've not needed to do or not do anything because of the color of my skin. And in addition to that, um, you know, because of my dad's hard work, but also because of a lot of privilege he was entitled to that just flowed down to him. Um, my dad has been a successful man. And so I was born uh, into a wealthier lifestyle. Um, it's easy for me to say, well, we're not as wealthy as the people around us. And I think we're so prone to do that. It's easy to look up and go, I'm not rich, they're rich. Um, but God has really opened my eyes to the world. I think when God views the world, when God, you know, when God said God so loves the world, he saw everybody, you know, he saw every person. And so I've been having to, what I call a God perspective and like back up and see myself as a human being amongst everybody. And I'm like, oh man, yeah, I did grow up wealthy. So for me, I went to a small private school in Delaware. Um, Most of my friends were white, but there was some amazing people at that school that were Pakistani, that were African-American, that were Asian, um, and they, they were amazing. Um, one of my earliest experiences was traveling with my dad. I was probably seven, eight, nine, ten years old. We would hop in the car after school, and we would drive up uh, to... Uh, I don't think it was a homeless shelter. It was like a section eight housing called Brownstone in New York city. And my dad, uh, who just, my dad's a, he's a mathematician, but really he just loves math. He loves teaching. He loves kids. Um, and he, he loves, uh, creating opportunities for those that don't have opportunities afforded to them. Um, and, and he loves giving, uh, giving kids who have a bunch of opportunities, the opportunity to go to reach even higher. He, he, He's, he's just, a, he is a great guy. I love him. And this was a phenomenal experience. There's a picture that he has of, of me sitting around the group with the kids and I'm the only white kid around the circle. 
in that moment, I didn't see anything different. I saw rich and poor, you know? So we lived in like a, you know, an average size, just the two of us, an average size of like a five to 10 bedroom house, depending. Uh, he was in real estate development. So we moved a lot um, in my early years and before he started a math company and a teaching company. Um, and so I developed this idea that um, most minorities, especially African-American in my life, uh, looking at the city of Wilmington, Delaware versus the city of Hocassin, Delaware, looking at my school versus the classes my dad taught at night at the Section 8 housing in New York City, that most minorities, African-Americans were poor but that if they worked hard, they could be rich and successful, quote unquote. Uh, of course, I'm, you know, I have pre-assumptions here about what it means to be rich and what it means to be successful. We'll get, you know, that's for another time and place. But um, if they worked hard, they could do it if they worked hard, just like the people that were in my school. And now that I have been reading some great books, uh, looking at government websites, and the percentages that exist and thinking about the history of my lineage and what was afforded to me and passed down to me in the history of other lineages, I've realized that, you know, there's a lot of disparities there that for some people, uh, you can't, you know, I've always liked the saying, you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you don't have boots, especially if someone took your boots. Um, and, and, uh, you know, that applies in so many different contexts. And, and now I'm realizing that the people that I thought, not only did I say most blacks are poor that existed in me, but I thought, well, they're just not working hard. And I'm realizing, man, no, some really worked hard, but then society burnt down what they worked so hard for. I don't know. Help me out. I'm blind in this area. We're uh, not... Um... So it seems like you're more, more, you know, obviously more aware of stuff now. So what are the feelings like before, I guess, you know, you were, if you didn't see it, you know, you're just not, you're just numb to it. But now, since you see a lot more, have more experience, you know, being a math guy, you see more statistics that prove, you know, that there's obviously some, some type of, Disparity. Some type of issue, yeah, some type of disparities. What, what are the feelings that you go through now that yeah. you have to sift through? Super sad. I'll just be straight. I cry a lot. I don't, I'm not like a, a guy to cry. Although growing up, they did call me crying Ryan in school. So <laughs> uh, shout out to Jeff Iqbal, who's uh, <laughs> my best friends. <laughs> I would do anything, go anywhere with Jeff Iqbal. But uh, uh, I don't know if he's ever apologized. He doesn't need to, but he definitely uh, – perpetuated that crying Ryan but you know I have an emotional side I have a side that crying over what like what would you cry over that feels well like just these days I'm just crying that like the world hasn't been fair the world isn't fair you know we live in a broken world like uh you know I'm honest I, I cry I, I've been shocked I didn't realize we would have such an argument over whether systemic racism did or didn't exist and, and, and totally getting outside of right or wrong, or even whether it does or doesn't, I just cry that we're having the conversation. I cry that there's a group of people uh, that doesn't feel safe to go on a jog. And whether or not someone mm. feels they should feel safe, there is a group of people that doesn't feel safe. 
you know, whether they're right or wrong, that's the way they feel. And it just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. You know, I mean, here's one thing. I'll give one thing to you. I've been really thinking about this. Like my great granddad uh, definitely had an influence on my life uh, through my granddad and my dad. Um, and so my great granddad would have grown up in a time of extreme uh, systemic racism slavery, like blatant and purposeful uh, killings, lynchings, you know? And then I, you know, I've been thinking about what happened in the 1920s in Tulsa. I watched the videos. Oh man, I'm getting get in tears now. I, I saw, you know, I, I watched, I read a story about a 14 year old African-American boy who was electrocuted, 14 years old. They electrocuted him as he held the Bible in his hand, pleading that he didn't kill these 10, 10 and 11 white, white girls. And uh, you know, a couple years after they electrocuted him, they were like, oh, wait, he never could have picked up that beam and swung it hard enough to kill those girls. Like the strongest, like something so obvious existed. And yet we were so against him because of the color of his skin. We electrocuted a 14 year old boy in America in 1920, like 1944, I think it happened. Shane, 1944, my dad was born in 1946. We electrocuted a 14 year old boy in 1944. Like this stuff existed, it's there. And so my direct ancestors, my dad, like I am a product of my dad. If you meet me and my dad, my sister, shout out to Kendo King, love her. She's like, yo, you are dad. Like, oh my gosh you know, good and bad. And, and my dad is a product of my grandpa. You know what I mean? And my grandpa was, you know, in this time. I mean, my grandpa was a, was a dude during, I don't know what my grandpa's opinion was of when they went to Black Wall Street in Tulsa and burnt it all down and killed a bunch of men, women, and children who were black. You know, like, what was my granddad's opinion of that? But nonetheless, all of the atrocities that African-Americans faced Everything your great granddad and your grandpa and your, you know, everything had to go through. Mine didn't. And it, it's afforded me an opportunity and a privilege to uh, succeed and get through life much differently. And, and I know these are feelings and, and, and people can break them down and, and right and wrong and everything like that. But man, it just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And, and since I'm talking a lot about history and my dad here, I do want to give him credit. I know he grew up during the civil rights era, but kudos to my dad. He taught me that people are people and to celebrate their differences, not colorblindness, to see them in their culture and their languages and who they are and listen and understand and that they're people. Uh, so I give kudos to him, but man, it just, I don't know, man, it's, it's sad. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, but I'm also very sad. Are these new, are this, this, is this sadness a new thing? Oh my gosh, bro. Like, <laughs> I've just ignored it my whole life. <laughs> like, but do you, would you say like you purposefully ignored it or was no, it just, uh, uh, total unconscious ign ignorance, unconscious mm -hmm unconscious bias I, I it wasn't ever purposeful i love people uh i've always like my two my a guy who's become my best friend is jeff Iqbal. look him up on youtube amazing singer he's on my youtube feed 
love the dude. We, you know, we've lived similar and, and very different lives, but man, I love his culture. Like yeah, I've always, yeah. I never saw him as like just a human personally. He was a human, but he was a Pakistani human. And that was awesome. You know what I mean? Like his dancing is so much better than the white man shuffle. Like it's so much better, you know, the, the two step is better. Like hip hop dancing, Pakistani dancing, they were better. I celebrated them, you know, for me, like I wanted, so mine were total, I was just unconscious. I, I really think one of the first thing that opens my eyes was like 15 years ago when you were like, yo, you've had a lot more opportunity than I have afforded to you in life. And your journey to Westchester is different than my journey. And I related like, yo, Shane's journey to Westchester was climbing a mountain. My journey to Westchester was going down a water slide. I don't remember saying that stuff, but I probably was taking out a lot of my anger on you. I just, love it. Just probably, just probably spewing stuff out. Like, yo, I had no everything's pissing me off. You're, yeah. just going to catch, you're just going to catch, catch this heat. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so it was totally unconscious. I, I I honestly, and I know a lot of people like this, a lot of our friends, I think don't have any ill will, but it's just, a, it's an unconscious, it's a blind spot, it's a not seeing it, not recognizing it, and never having to think about it. Like, right, like right. I know we said this in our last podcast, but it's meant something to me. Like the fact that your name on a resume wouldn't get you an interview, I've never thought about. Like, and, and, and I've never thought, like, you know, we live, we live in a culture where like, you can't name someone something, you know, you can't use your heritage, your culture to name someone something because there's a danger. Or if you do, there's a danger that they might not get a certain job. Jamal Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. I got a friend named Muhammad Abdur Rahim. Yeah. He graduated, you know, college we graduated college together and i remember him talking about uh possibly changing his last name just just because of because of that mm -hmm. um i still remember the sticker I, I, westchester pennsylvania it hit me it hit me barack hussein obama what the f are we thinking and i'm like yo like that was there's a time for you you know i, I guess that, mm -hmm. that's the time where i realized like yo what <laughs> a total different group of people did in another part of the world. It, we're going to judge this guy based on his name. Right, right, right. Yes, that's a, uh, that's all, it's, that's a uh, deep stuff, man. I think we probably got about like eight minutes left. I wanted to, um, any last thoughts about, uh, no, that I've, journey? I've, I've talked enough. I want to, can I, can I hear from you? I, I still, my eyes, have been opened slightly. So can you share, can you, when did you realize you were black? Um, good question. And I've talked to a lot of people about this and I th it's weird because there is a specific moment um, that I remember. I grew up with my grandma and we, she used to always get these, they were called Jet magazines. I think I mentioned this last time. They were just like these small magazines that just was all about black culture, history, celebrating um, people in the community, just normal, normal people. Um, and that, you know, the famous case of Emmett Till about the little boy, you know, I think he's about 14, 15 years old, who just got brutally murdered in his 
um, for, the, you know, allegedly, I think, flirting with the white woman. Um, and his mother wanted to have an open casket to show look how bad that they um, beat her, beat her son up. Um, and I remember seeing that in that magazine and he was the same complexion as me, at least in the magazine, like he was lighter skin, but he, you know, he was black and that just triggers something in me at seven years old. That was just like, Oh wait, that's me. Like if they did that to him, that could happen to me. Um, so you just automatically, you know, you just, you just start establishing some social contracts of distrust um your own anger fear and then you you know then you start you're watching the movies you're watching back then you watch movies like mississippi burning rosewood roots you know and you just get taught you know this is what is happening in the world and society and you're on this side of it um and then you start having experiences um you know someone calling you the n-word skinheads in the area you know your parents you know i grew up my grandmother i remember her we went to a restaurant you know my grandma's from the deep south raised on a plantation her saying stuff like you know shh, be quiet like you know there's there's good white folk here you know basically teaching me that you know we need to make other people comfortable we don't want you know well white people to get angry or see us as a as a confrontation so you, you kind of just start minimizing who you are to make other people comfortable or questioning who you are you know you just start developing this double consciousness of seeing yourself through the eyes of the world first as opposed to you know trying to see yourself for who you are um so you go into um you know, you go into a store, you know, how do you behave a certain way? Um, you're, you're at a social event with white people, you know, behave a certain way. You know, if you, if you, if your hair is cut, if your beard is trimmed, you know, you're, you're less of a threat, you know, and then depending on how you grow up, you, you just start learning these things. Um, and then you kind of, when, when a situation happens, it's like, wait, is it because I'm black? So people, you know, someone's following you around a store. You're like, wait, is it because I'm black? Are you or like, are you, are you really trying to help? But you just have to sift through, you know, multiple thoughts um, before you can even, you know, just try to be yourself in that moment. So in some ways you have to learn how to, at least for me, like make sure I'm being myself in every every instance no matter what the situation no matter who i'm around um so yeah i remember that emmett till magazine was my first time you know i realized i was black and then even in the black community like there i remember growing up with disparities between you being light-skinned someone being dark-skinned mm -hmm. someone having oh you know you light-skinned you got good hair um, and I never thought about it at the time. And I was like, oh, wait, like, if I got good hair, then, like, someone doesn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I remember we used to make fun of people for being dark-skinned. That's like, you know, that's part of the trauma. One of the first things you start doing with another Black person is like, yeah, that's why you, you know, that's why you Black and ugly. Or like, you know, whoever was the darkest in the neighborhood, we used to say they was from Africa or, you know, like you start adopting 
<laughs> you know, the, the white man's thoughts. Um, and so now, like with everything, can you still hear me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll wrap up here with this is, um, so when people are woke, you know, you're waking up now. Um, my wife is, you know, got a lot of feelings she didn't has have before. You know, and part of it is like, you know, welcome to the party. This is what people have been trying to carry and think about for a long time. Yeah. Um, I think me and your, me and me and Sarah, South Sarah, she's awesome. Uh, I think me and her group very similarly, and we're having a very similar eye-opening experience. A lot because of our relation with you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, y'all both. You know, most people, most, and then what you see now, you see all these white, especially students, college students, high school students at these rallies. I think they like, listen, like, I don't want to see this anymore. I don't, I don't want to feel this anymore. You know, my favorite rapper is black. You know, my friend is black. You know, my spouse, my boyfriend, girlfriend. Um, People don't want the same feelings in the, yeah, they don't want to repeat or be silent on what their parents and grandparents were silent yeah. about. Yeah, well, and I just it makes me think and feel so much when you. I just thank you for sharing that experience. You know, you're bringing up. I mean, memories. I'm sure you know aren't the happiest memories, uh, but they're honest memories. And so I thank you for that. And just makes me realize, you know, I grew up not having to worry about how the color of my skin affected my life. And you didn't. Mm-hmm. And I, I was also afforded other opportunities. There's other opportunities, you know. Uh, I grew up not having to worry about where my next meal was going to come from. And, you know, one big thing we'll have to get into it another time is that Monopoly example where my ancestors got to roll the dice so many times before your family did. Right. And, and that has trickle down effects, obviously. So I was afforded multiple uh, opportunities of being male, of being white, of having wealth, and that of having education. I mean, uh, you know, statistically, I should be successful in this world. I was given, I was afforded so much opportunity and I, I wanna level the playing field. I'm not exactly sure how to do it. I, I don't know what to do. Um, but man, do I want to open the doors moving forward and begin to say, you know, unemployment numbers for one race shouldn't be double another race. And we'll have to talk about that because I believe systemic racism is a factor in that, a major factor in that. But I also believe there's other factors in that. So you're saying black people aren't, it's just not there, lazy? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yes. I'm definitely saying that. <laughs> I just want to be clear. Whoever's listening. Yeah, let's, be be, clear. Yeah, let's be clear. Let's be clear. There are a lot of African-Americans in recent history who could work as hard as they want and be as smart as they want. And they wouldn't get through the same doors I got through. Right. Right. Get close to them. Here's a real life example. Uh, when my grandmother was trying to get the right to vote my grandmother, my wife's grandfather was studying to be a doctor. <laughs> so like the, the wow. Wow. so the fact that like someone was already 
you know, just the opportunity to reach their potential early. Um, yeah. Versus other people, you know, that and then that trauma just gets trickled down, yep. down to now, man. That's why you see so much anger. Yep. Um, and people are like, you, you know, they can't, you know, connect the dots between 19, you know, this is 1960. You know, my grandma's 30 years old. Um, kind of in yeah, a. We got to talk more about that trauma because, to be honest, another thing my eye has been opened up to is military trauma. You know, I don't think God designed the world for racism to exist, nor do I think he designed the world for war to exist. And like PTSD from trauma, from racist acts, uh, you know, to me is similar to the same thing a lot of my military friends uh, have gone through from war acts. You know, they've seen and experienced things that as a human being they weren't intended to go through. And they're suffering from that. And that has trickle down effects on their families and their kids. You know what I mean? And their, their, their ability to father. I mean, many people have brought it to me like fatherlessness. And I'm like, yeah, ra- the trauma from racism influences that, you know, just like it does on the military side. So we got we to gotta get into trauma. I so appreciate you today uh, wanting to hear my story. Uh, yeah, thanks for sharing, man. I think more, you know, whoever's listening, I think the more we keep doing these, keep talking. Um, this is great to just share, bring it to light. What you know, everything that we're feeling and where you know where it comes from. Yeah, um, I, I'm so thankful for your story. I'm gonna put one plug out there of a thought I've been thinking about: um, making America great again. To me, includes Black Lives Mattering. Because in my opinion, and so many people can disagree with me, and honestly, I even understand why they disagree. Um, But to me, Donald Trump doesn't own making America great again. The Republican agenda doesn't own making America great again. And uh, um, the Democratic agenda doesn't own Black Lives Matter. You know, I don't, I'm an independent. I don't personally agree with everything on either side, but I would love to see America be great again. Jesus taught us to be a servant leader. Uh, He said, the last will be first. So it confuses me, uh, you know, when Christians promote the first will be first. Um, that's another conversation, you know. Yeah, I know we want to talk about church and yeah, uh, Christianity and our response and yeah. all of that. Let's uh, we we got to do that. We got to. Uh, I, mean, I need some time another, to think about one. what to yeah. say to us. Another one. I, I've taken time to try to understand pro-choice people because I just don't get it. I'm pro-life and I just don't get it. So I took time to understand, and I'm like. Oh, at the heart of it, you believe life begins at another point. You're a good person. I know you. You have a good heart. You don't believe you're killing a baby. I might. Mm. You don't. You know what I mean? Or not even say I might. I do. You don't. You know? But, but then I, I had a wake-up call yesterday. It was so crazy. I had an aha moment yesterday. I'm like, oh, wait. Catholics believe that life begins before at a different point than I do because they don't take birth control, but we have. So they believe life begins at a different point pro-choice begins believes life begins at a different point than either of us like we all draw lines in the sand and i think when we can seek to understand each other that's an example i'm seeking to understand systemic racism we begin to see things we didn't see we begin to see the heart of people so thank you for pushing me this direction no thank you my last thought is i saw a quote that said um the eye never forgets 
what the heart sees. Mm. So I'm gonna let's I'm gonna marinate on that for a while, and then um, and come well, next time we will come back and talk about it. Yeah, say it, say it once more, and then I'm just gonna I'm gonna end the podcast because I want to end with that statement. The the eye never forgets what the heart sees. Thank you.